Let's open up to Ephesians chapter 3, please. Ephesians chapter 3. Working our way through the book of Ephesians. When we're finished with Ephesians, should be finished by the end of the year. In January, we're going to be spending some time on the vision for our church. And so that's kind of where we're going to be headed in January, just laying out our vision for the church, teaching, preaching, talking about it for a while. So we're going to step away from our study through the book of Acts. As you know, we've been going through the book of Acts, and as we get to the churches, we've been teaching through the various books. And so we were at the book of Ephesians, and uh, so we're going to, instead of going back to Acts, we're going to go and just lay out some vision for the church. It's going to be really good. So kind of plan on being around in, in January because we're going to spend some time that's going to be critical and vital for, the, for our church here coming up. Back in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 1. You know, I, I read this, I've read this before, but I, I read it, and, and I'm not that great of a reader. Uh, and so when I read this, I go, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and I kept reading. And that's, and I was confused again. I'm like, Paul, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and you know, it's kind of like what I do. I start talking about something, and I cut myself off mid-sentence because it brings up something else I want to talk about. And hopefully I get back to it later. And that's what happens with Paul, and he does that all the time. And by the way, he'll start a thought, and he won't come back to it for like three or four chapters. And so you've got to look for that word that little phrase he's talking about, and then like all of a sudden, three, four chapters later in Romans, it's like that's a big parenthesis in the middle of what he's saying. You're like, oh, well, thanks for the run-on sentence, Paul. So that's what he's doing there. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, you what? And it's finished in, in actually verse 14. He says, pause every intention of finishing it, so he what he wants to say here is in verse 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. I pr- I'm praying. So what we have between verses basically 2 and 13 is a big parenthesis, and Paul's going to talk about, he's going to expand upon why he can't start praying yet because he's got more to say. He's repeating himself. He's a typical pastor. <laughs> so he wants to start praying for the Ephesians in verse 1 of chapter 3, but he cuts himself off mid-sense because as he's reflecting upon what he just said in the ch- end of chapter 2, or all of chapter 2, and the fact that he has been in prison for four years at this point, he's given, uh, a, he has to give a little further explanation as before he can pray, and so what we have there is that parenthesis, and so Paul says in verse 1, for this reason... Um, and, and those reasons are in the end of chapter 2. So just to refresh, I'm going to repeat myself. What do you know? But it says the Ephesians, and, and these are the reasons that are in chapter 2. So I'm just going to quickly jump through them. The Ephesian Gentiles were dead in sins and trespasses, but God made them alive. You want to remind them, you were dead, but God made you alive. God saved them from death, from sin. They were separate from Christ. They were excluded from citizenship. They were foreigners to the covenants and promises of God. They were without hope. They were without God. And verse 13 of chapter 2 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And isn't that all of us Gentiles? lost in our sin, and we were alienated, and we were gone. 
far away. But God is rich in mercy. And he drew us near by his grace and his love through his son, amen? Praise God for that. Through the cross, the Gentiles and Jews had peace with each other and with God by fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law, which the Gentiles neglected, and also the Jews, to tell you the truth. God brought the Gentiles who repented and believed upon Christ into the family of God, the same for the Jews who were near, and God made the two, instead of two distinct groups, God spiritually made them one humanity, one body. And so unity is the theme. And we have such a screwed up thought of unity sometimes. Unity in Christ is what it's supposed to be. According to his word, according to his spirit, that's how we are unified in him. Amen? Won't go off on that today. But God made the two one, and so he gave him that common body in the same spiritual family. They have the same spirit through which they access the same father. The Gentiles were now fellow citizens with God's people. The Gentile believers were now being built up spiritually. He ends chapter 2 into a spiritual building whose foundation was the word of God through the prophets and the apostles and whose cornerstone, the stone that completes the building, is Christ. A temple, a building where the Holy Spirit dwells. And so all of this is in mind as Paul is, begins chapter 3, verse 1. It says, for this reason, for all these huge Himalayan truths that are yours in Christ Jesus. Things that should just change your thinking about who you are. All these things, you were far away, you were brought near, and that's not even mentioning chapter 1. For this reason, Paul's saying, it's for this reason. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. So he stops before he prays and he explains to the Ephesians, this is why I'm in chains. I'm a prisoner. I'm in chains. Paul was in a Roman prison. He was, he was, as he was writing this, Paul had been so for around four years, two years in Caesarea Philippi. So he'd spent, you know, two years there and two years in Rome. And that's what the rest of the book of Acts is about when we're going to get into it, how Paul got there. He had a desire in his heart to go to Rome, but how he got there was not necessarily how he thought he'd get there. Any of us had that, fan, that plan? God, I know what you, you know, this is where I'm headed, but boy, the road I took to get there, who knows how in the world that happened. What, what kind of road do you have me on, Lord? Paul, as we were reading through 1 Corinthians, he, and uh, he was saying, you know, I, I want to go to meet you. He said that in Romans too. He said, I want to go meet you. I want to see you in Rome. I'm going to come through and talk to you guys on my way to Rome, on my way to Spain. He had all these plans, right? But that's not how he ended up. He didn't just, you know, book a flight. He was shipwrecked and imprisoned and all these other things. He appealed to Caesar. Boy, that's a, that's a study in itself. And so Paul was a prisoner. Paul was under house arrest in Rome. He had some freedom during the day, but he was chained to a Roman guard at night. Those poor guards, all of them were saved probably. 
and we're all leading up to how Paul got there, but Paul wanted the Ephesians to know that although he technically was a prisoner of Rome, in reality, he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ for their sakes. That's what his point was. You can imagine, he's sitting there, he's starting to write about all these things, and the reality of actually where he's sitting writing this from pops into his head, so he's got all these things, how are they all working together. I'm in, I'm in a prison here writing to people talking about the freedom they have in Christ Jesus. What, how does that work out in God's plan? And his point is, it's all working together. Actually, this was God's plan. This was all in step with God's calling and plan for Paul, for Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to be imprisoned and brought before kings to declare Jesus to them. This was all part of God's plan. If you recall in Acts chapter 8, Remember, right after uh, Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus, and Jesus said, why are you kicking against the goats? And, and Paul became blind, and then he went into Damascus. Well, at the same time, the Lord spoke to a guy named Ananias, a disciple in Damascus, and he said, go see this guy, Paul, Saul. And Ananias goes, wait a second. That's the guy who's been terrorizing your church in Jerusalem. He's been locking him up and persecuting him, and bad things are happening. And what does he say? The Lord say to him, he says, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. He doesn't stop there. He says, And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. And Paul suffered much because he proclaimed the name of Jesus to the Gentiles and their kings. And this is the rest of the story of Acts when we get back there. That Paul's in prison because Paul was a captive of the Lord Jesus Christ and obedient to his call upon his life. Doing what the Lord has called you to do and called you to be is not all rainbows and unicorns. Sometimes it's bars. Sometimes there's weight. Sometimes there's persecution. Actually, you're promised persecution as you grate against the world. Paul was in prison for the sake of the Gentiles. Paul was not bound by his cell. Paul was bound by the calling of Jesus upon him to preach the gospel of to the Gentiles. That's what made him live and go forward in his life. He couldn't do anything but, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. As Paul's about to pray for this, it's as if he has several thoughts converging, colliding in his mind. The reality of what Christ has done for the church in Ephesus, those Gentiles, how God called Paul for this ministry and why he's suffering right now. And so he stops there and begins to expound in verse 2. He says, Surely you've heard about the administration, the management of God's grace that was given to me for you that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already briefly written. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people in other generations that has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Paul was given a mystery. And this is his point. He was given a mystery. Mystery simply means something that's hidden. There are mysteries in the world. Mysterion is the word that will help you this week in your daily life. God holds all the mysteries. I want you to know that. God is the holder of all mysteries and basically three types of mysteries. Mysteries that only God knows. And we will never know and he will never reveal. 
Because we don't know. It's a mystery. We don't even know the things we don't know. You know? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words in this law. So there's, there's things, the secret things belong to the Lord. Then there are mysteries that God has revealed to his prophets in the Old Testament, his, his leaders and kings and people in the Old Testament. There are mysteries that have been revealed. Uh, just for example, many concerning the Messiah, that he would be born of a virgin, where he would be born, what he would look like. There was a, he was a man that was not really that great looking. You wouldn't know him if you saw him on the street. Nothing about, he wasn't like the shiny Jesus portrait, European blue eyes, you know. Just wouldn't know him. You know, all these things prophesied he would, how he would die, where he would die, how, where he'd be buried. All these things were revealed by the Spirit. Prophecy. And so there's those, those types of things. And the prophecies in the Old Testament, a lot, you know, the, word, the Old Testament speaks of concerning the Messiah. That's what Jesus did. His first Bible study, raised from the dead. He's hanging out with everybody. Oh, actually, the road to Damascus, he's talking to you guys. What is he talking to him about? Opens the scriptures, explains what all the Old Testament prophets were talking about. He gives them the mystery that's all pointing to him. All pointing to him. And lastly, the mysteries of God have been revealed through Jesus and through his apostles, and that is the mystery of the church. Hebrews 1, uh, verses 1 through 2 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways, right? Through donkeys, whatever. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And so he spoke in these last days through his son and his son sent the Holy Spirit into the church. And we have the apostles and the prophets of the New Testament speaking forward the mysteries of God. The mystery that Paul is getting at is that the Gentiles are now brought into the church. The Gentiles, God's people's enemies were brought now into the fold of God. That that is the church. Gentiles and Jews together. We're going, so what? We're all Gentiles going, yeah, yeah, you know. If you were a Jew, you'd be going, man, that's a big deal. All those dogs got brought into our family. You're going, what? There was some serious tension, and that's why Paul is addressing this in Christ. New identity, who you are. And that's why it's so important. And we see God's wisdom through all this, and, and there's a reason behind all this, and so he, he's working up to that. You know, Paul was an apostle, was given that direct revelation by Jesus Christ, specific revelation concerning the Gentiles. Let me ask you, let me take a poll. If you were a uh, you, have, you have an organization and you wanted to get a message out that it was the most important message to many people, would you pick the person who was attacking your organization to do that? The chief antagonist against your organization. Would you, would you pick that person to go ahead, and, go ahead and take that message out? No. And that is why we are not God. What does that speak to about the character and the nature of God? Specifically, if you want to think a little deeper on that, the grace of God. 
the power to change a person. What's the most powerful witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Someone who's been impacted and changed radically by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been forgiven much, loves much. Paul loved deeply. He hated it deeply. He attacked viciously, and God turned that, and he flipped it around. And he became an incredible servant by the grace of God, all by the grace of God. That's what he's getting at here. But I wouldn't pick him. But that's why Paul makes it clear that God gave him this administration by grace. The mystery that Paul was delivered to the people was given to him by grace. And it was not previously known. He'll talk about that in a second here. And this is the mystery. Uh, it's the, verse 6. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ. And you're going, Paul, you're beating me over the head with the same thing 50 times. And everybody said, yes, you are. Matt, can't we just skip on? I'm not going to, I'm going to repeat it as many times as it repeats it. I know some of you get upset about that, but that's what we do. Let the word speak. If God repeats it that many times, hopefully we're going to repeat it that many times. But listen, you might say, Paul, you're repeating yourself. You just told us this in chapter two, like I just told you again. Notice how many times, real quickly, in your mind, how many times did I repeat the word mystery in there? He repeated it several times. Why? Because he's talking about the mystery. Repetition is something we, that God designed to teach us. How many of you have experienced that? <laughs> this is one of the ways God teaches us something, through repetition. How did we learn to eat? First time, it was awesome. How did we learn to speak? How did you learn to do math? You know what I'm saying? How do we learn a musical instrument? How do you learn to throw a great slider through repetition? When a company wants to get a message out, when they want to message something, do they say it once? What do they do? They repeat it over and over and over. They advertise a key word repeatedly, and this is true with God. God often repeats a truth over and over, even slightly different ways each time, when he really wants us to get something. God did that with Joshua. Let me just read you this for example, because I want not only for you to get information, but I want you to be able to open your own Bible and start to read. When you're reading, you're going, why is he talking the same thing over and over? That's an indicator in your mind to go, read that again, because he's repeating something. So after the, just Joshua chapter one, we're just going to read it real quickly. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you to them, uh, give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised. Really quickly, he's starting to talk. He says, "I," he says, "I'm about to give it to you. I will give it to you as I promised." Who's I? 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 Who's going to be doing all the things? God, right? He's teaching something. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the Great River and the Euphrates and all the Hittite countries to the Mediterranean Sea of the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What's he wanting him to know? Where's the focus? Where does, Josh, where does he want Joshua's focus to be? On the I am. 
and the I will. And he goes, be strong and courageous because you will lead people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And he goes again, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law. The law my servant Moses gave you, do not turn it from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be able to be prosperous and successful. He repeats that stuff. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Then God wanted to let Joshua know something. I will do it. You be strong. You courageous. be courageous over and over and over and over and over. John 15, Jesus says a thousand different ways. I am the vine. You are the branches. You can't do anything out with me, uh, without me. Abide in me. Ask what you want, and you're going to glorify the Father in heaven. He says it like 20 times. Several different ways. Don't be afraid. I'm with you, right? And so there's this repetition that's happening, and Paul's using this. The mystery was that they were, those who were far off were brought near. Not only that, they unified, they're unified with the people of God. And now Paul's talking about his personal involvement in this. Is I became a servant, verse 7, of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Paul served God the only way there is. How's that? By the gift of God's grace and through God's power. Any of us trying to do what God has called us to do apart from God's grace and apart from God's power, oh, that is a train wreck. But, man, with God's grace and God's power, those things, man, there's nothing we can't do. Now, was Paul worthy of the call upon his life? Obviously not. Neither are we, verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach the Genti- to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Paul considered himself the chief of all sinners. 1 Timothy uh, 1.5 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, Paul said of himself, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. How many of you, when you serve the Lord, you go, God, why are you even using me? I mean, when you just think of who you are and what you've done and all those things, right? You just go, oh my gosh, why would you choose me? And Paul knows the reality of that, but what overpowers that is the reality of what Christ has done in his life. And that is why we do what we do, and that's why we can do what we do, amen? Because of his grace. Paul persecuted the church of God. He imprisoned the saints. He condoned their deaths, yet God's grace was given to him to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Brothers and sisters, God is not calling you to something you are worthy to do. God is not calling you to something you are worthy to do. Do you know that? Or even able to do. He's just not. He's calling you to things that I will do. I will. 
I will, I will. Like Joshua, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of your enemies. I'm going to bring you safely on the other side. I'm going to do these things. You just look at me and you be faithful and obedient. How many of you in your lives have looked at marriage and you go, man, I, I cannot do this? Anyone? I know, I'm speaking for Christine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How many of you, you know, you just go, just the thought of something crazy, doing something crazy for the Lord, like selling all you have and moving on the other side of the world and go living in a hut. How many of you just immediately go, forget that? Totally. It's not calling you to things that you can do. You know, that's, that's the thing with our church. And, and this is where I just want us to be praying. You know what changes people's lives? The Word of God is, it, where the Word of God is taught not only taught, but the, the Holy Spirit is manifest. It's just His presence is, is, is here. People long for the presence of the Lord. They don't want to shtick, you know, entertain you and you go away happy and I know, whatever. But they want God to speak to their lives. They want Him to jump in and do what they cannot do. His grace to be working in their lives. They've tried it. We've tried it. It just doesn't work. We need something supernatural to come in and just lift us out. That's what the world needs. They need Jesus to walk in and say, you're crippled. I'll make you heal. Stretch out your hand. You know what I mean? Whether it's physically or spiritually, whatever. We don't want to have a church that's just bells and whistles and handshakes and and all that stuff. It's just, we want more and more for the Lord Jesus to just be so comfortable among us and working in and through us that people walk in and they just go, man, God is here. They see it in you and through you. And it's not because of your supernatural abilities. Actually, it's in spite of it. You see what I'm saying? It's not because you've taken all the classes and you've got all the talent and you've got the degrees. It's because you've been with Jesus. And he is in you and he's empowering you. And how many of you go, well, that takes the load off. I don't have to go through Pharisee school. I don't have to. I was with a church that sent people, you know, they're, they're, I was ordained before I ever went to school. And you're going, well, that's all wrong. And we can see why. <laughs> but I'm just saying, we put so much emphasis on the way the world does stuff, and God just does the opposite so many times. He takes people who do not know how to do anything, who are broken in spirit, who are humble, who are, who are, who are fearful. How many of you are fearful? God wants to use you. All you got to do is teach, take your eyes, put it on him, and just do what he says. And let me tell you, I, I'm talking to you as I'm standing up here among friends, and you know I'm a wimp when I get out there and all that stuff. It's a fight that goes on every time, right? 
But as I put my eyes on him, as I re- realize how powerful he is and where he is, he's sitting on the throne and, and who he is and what's going to happen in the long run, my, my fear starts to dissipate and faith is built up as I put my eyes upon Jesus and, and I'm just this weak vessel with light shining through. And people go, man, God used you in my life? You know, I get amazed when people will go, hey, you know, God spoke to me through you. I'm like, yeah, he must have. He must have. He must have. That's God's grace. We need the Lord, and we have that in our, in our fellowship. But pray that it becomes increasingly so. And us personally, although I'm, the less and least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. I'm the chief of all sinners. I've, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve it to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God. And Paul's talking about all these things that should disqualify him, that should disqualify you. Think of them. And yet, the cross of Christ and the grace of God says, paid for, done. Stand up. Rise, child. Walk in newness of life. Forgetting those things that are behind. Pressing on towards the prize by faith. Eyes on the author and the finisher. So, Paul was called by God's grace to preach Christ. What has he called you to do by his grace? What has he called you to do by his grace? Do you know that each of you has been called to minister to the body at this church? Each of you? I'm not just talking about handing out bulletins and all that stuff. That is, that's, it's huge. Don't, I'm not minimizing that, but there's a spiritual ministry the Lord has for each of you towards each other in this room. And you're accountable for it before the Lord. He, he wants you to grow in it and walk in it and learn it and know it and use it. This is why in Hebrews chapter one, it says, don't forsake the gathering together. If you read that in the context, it's not just to get you go to church, it's to get you be with brothers and sisters so your spiritual gifts can be used back and forth. Because that's how love is exercised, it's used. To discipline, it's a love. How many of you have relationships where it's based on feeling? How's that working for you? <laughs> love is a commitment. compels us. We're going to be talking about this stuff later on in, in January. What, is call, what has God called you to do by His grace? Paul was called to make plain. He says that to make plain, to preach and to make plain. Preaching and teaching. That's what teaching is, to make plain, to take something that's kind of convoluted and, and, to, and to clearly make it known to you. And that's what I try to do on Sunday mornings, both preach and teach. And sometimes you walk away with more questions. I do too. But to reveal what is hidden, to make plain, to take something that is cloudy and make it clear in the mind of the audience. 
of one or of many. Notice that Paul, uh, obviously verse 9, was, was a creationist. I love that too, just a little thing in there. And to which make plain everyone, the administration of the mystery which for all ages past was kept hidden in Christ, who created all things, by the way. Verse 10, real quickly moving on. His intent was that now through the church, who's the church? Does it include Jews? Yeah. Through the church, so this is where he's getting at. His intent, so what God had in mind through all this is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the what? The rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is some kind of galactic thing going on here. God's purpose for choosing you, predestining you to adoption, redeeming you, forgiving you, giving you the plan, giving you his spirit, giving you a sure hope, giving you a sure inheritance, bringing you near by the blood of Jesus, giving you peace with God, bringing you into the body of Christ, making you a citizen of his kingdom, unifying you with his people, making you a member of his household, making us into a building of God where his spirit dwells and all that and more to come. God's purpose and all of that is wrapped up in verse 10. His intent is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he has accomplished in Christ Jesus and Lord. You exist. All those things happen to you to glorify God, to point out his wisdom, his majesty, how he works, his mind. He did all this to bring glory to himself. We can't say that about us. We get selfish when we do that. He's the only one who can do that to bring glory to him. That is why you've been brought into the family of God. To reflect his manifold wisdom, to display his vast wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, angels, that means angels and ranks of angels, good and evil, and whatever else is out there. We are God's crowning glory. We display his wonder. When I looked at all he's done, I just shake my head and said, and say, why? Why would you spare me? I mean, how many of you had that thought? Like, wow, look at all this. Who am I in this? Let alone all you've done, the list of benefits, the list of things that the Lord has done for us, who we are, the immeasurable mercy and grace given to us, sending his son to us, giving us his Holy Spirit. It was to make him known. It's to make him known for his glory. It reflects who he is and everything he is and all he's created when, when we are why he did that for us is to shine who he was, who he is. See, words fall short. In First Peter, when he's talking about to display to the angels and the heavenly realms, the thing that's going on right now this morning, it says angels look upon these things and they wonder what the heck's going on in there. First Peter 1-2 says the angels long to look into these things and they're, you know, they're blown away at God's grace and his wisdom. The wisdom of God is not the world. The world would never choose a Paul. They would never choose a you. God chose you. That's exciting. And all of this, verse 11, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Another truth that is yours right now. In him and through him, uh, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
How many of you approach God with fear? You've got to change your mind. You've got to get that fixed. You've got to plug it into the word and say, what's going on up there? You can approach the Lord with freedom and with con- confidence. You can run to him. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace. I love that. He doesn't sit on a throne of wrath. He sits on a throne of grace. I like that about God. How many of you like that about God? Throne of grace. I like that. Boy, he sits on a throne of grace. Yay! It's probably cushy and cozy. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Any of you need mercy? It means not getting what you do deserve. I need mercy. Anybody else need mercy? I need loads of mercy. How many of you need grace? Getting what you don't deserve. I like getting what we don't deserve. Amen? I like that. This is approach. And I, I whatever is it, the king and I, whatever it is, that little picture, uh, that play, whatever, where the kid just runs in and jumps. The king has this thing where no one can approach, Right? And if you step too close, the guards come like, bam, everybody's dead. You've got to be asked, you, you have to have, get permission to come up and all this stuff. And, and it's a, I forgot which movie or whatever play it was. And, you know, there's these guards and everybody's kneeling and they have to do all these things. And, and all of a sudden, the little kid just runs right past them, hops on the king's lap. <laughs> That's us. You can approach the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who is to be feared by those who are not his kids. Unlimited supply. Go boldly to your father. Paul ends this section in verse 13 where he says, I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul is saying that even in my imprisonment, God is still using it to fulfill his plan. The reason I'm suffering is for you. Paul would write, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon from prison. These are called the prison epistles. Don't be discouraged, Paul was saying. I'm writing to you. God's using it in your life and even showing his wisdom through it to the ranks of celestial beings. Hang in there. My sufferings are for your glory. Verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Wait, before we do, I just had a thought as I was reading that. See, there I go doing what Paul does. But... Uh, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Part of following Christ is suffering. It's being willing to be hurt so that others might, might live. Do you see that truth? To, do you see that playing out all through the New Testament in anybody that God used? Yeah? Okay, just think about that. Sometimes you might go, if I go that way, I'm going to get in prison. I'm going to hurt. Very well may be that that's God's plan. Don't go willy-nilly and running into yourself in dangerous situations, but don't, don't close it. 
What happens if you have to give up a huge chunk of money to go support something that God does something and he's just going to have to take care of you, isn't he? What about your time? What about, you know, not doing this or that? I mean, don't let those things, don't let suffering stop you. It's actually a a blessing. (laughs) So just lean into the Lord there. But he's saying, I'm suffering for you. And it's for your glory. That was the reason why Paul suffered. It wasn't because of his own stupidity. It was for their glory. For this reason, verse 14, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And so now Paul is praying to the Father whose plan is in all this. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power in his spirit in your innermost being. How do we pray for one another? How do we pray for one another? I want to pray when you guys are hurting. I want to pray when you guys are uh, suffering physically. I want to be there and ask the Lord to comfort you and guide you. But what really needs to happen in the midst of all of this, the thing that is actually more important than all of that, is what? That the Lord would strengthen you out of his glorious riches with the power through his spirit in your innermost being, that your spirit would be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that you would have God's perspective in life and in suffering. You will die. Did you know that? You will suffer. You will get sick. These things will happen to you. It happens to everyone. We're all connected to Adam. These bodies got junk going on. You need power in your innermost being, your spirit to weather the storm. And Paul is praying this way. Paul prays that the Ephesians would be strengthened with the power through the Spirit. Pray for physical strength. That's good. But how many of us pray to be strengthened by the Spirit in our spirit? How many of you pray that every morning? But how many of you pray, God, help my back? Me too. Because that's what we feel, right? But what do we need? Above all, Lord, strengthen me in my innermost spirit. I'm not saying we can't pray for those things. My gosh, of course we can. Jesus had compassion on people. But don't neglect what's really needed. Your spiritual being, did you know that? Did you know you're a spiritual being? You're not just physical. Physical beings work, live after physical things. We're spiritual beings. We've been born again. So we need strength in our spirit. And I explain this how many this 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 way to some people. When's the last time you, you had you've eaten? And we can kind of recall, well, I didn't have breakfast this morning, so last night I had this and that. When's the last time you've been fed spiritually? Ding. You're almost done. Five more minutes in the oven. So I want to encourage you to pray for what really makes a difference, amen? But notice where the supply of power comes from out of his glorious riches, his massive supply. But why is Paul praying for their innermost beings to be strengthened? Why? So that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We need spiritual strength to let Christ dwell in us because there's something in us 
that resists the influence of the indwelling Jesus. Amen? That something can be conquered as the Spirit of God gives us victory of faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And so he uses four dimensions there. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So what he just talked about is not something you can intellectually grasp. It surpasses human knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So he's just like hanging out on the top of Himalayas talking about stuff that's like only can be revealed by the Spirit of God to us. What does this mean, grasp the love of God? I don't know, but it's possible by the Spirit of God. And I like what Spurgeon said about this. He says, in this measurement, may you and I be skilled. If we know nothing of mathematics, May we be well-tutored scholars in, the spiritual, in this spiritual geometry and be able to comprehend the breadth, the length of Jesus' precious love. I love that. Verse 20, Now to him who is able, now I love this, we're going, how in the world can we ever do that? How can you ever know his, you know, his, the, the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of his love? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably, I love that word, than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is in work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. That's us forever and ever. Amen. God can do more than you are thinking right now. It's according to whose power? His power. And that is at work within you. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. In chapter 4, verse 1, now he comes back. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In light of all these things that you are, now live it out. And that's where we're going. We're going to live it out now. Yay! So Paul lays theology forever. He lays it for a long time. He does it in Romans. Like, 10 or 12 chapters or something like that, and you just get to the last three chapters, and you're like, okay, this is how I live it out. That tells me that we have to have a lot of changing about what we believe, because what you believe affects what you do. What you believe affects what you do. So we talk to a person, we go, we see someone, you see me, and I have an attitude problem or a belief system, and I keep doing something. And you go, <clears throat> just stop doing that. Right? I want you to modify your behavior. Well, there's something, there's a reason why I'm doing that. A, because I'm a stinking rotten sinner that needs the Spirit of God. But there's something in my thinking that tells me what's going on there. And we need the Word of God to come into our thinking and our minds and, 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 and eradicate that lie or that false belief or whatever it is and replace it with the truth of God. And when we have the truth and we believe that is who we really are, who you really are in Christ Jesus, then your actions change. That's why Paul spends so much time talking about your head and being renewed in the thinking of your mind. And so let me ask you, 
if that, and we're closing right now, if that is the Lord's deal, if he wants to deal with your mind first, not your emotions, those will follow. He wants to get you right thinking about who he is. What do you think the enemy's tactic is? What is it? I'm loving it, right? The messaging, repetition. The enemy uses the same thing. And he wants you to believe you're good enough, you're smart enough, and all those things. And whatever it is, the lies are. And they're crafty, and they appeal to you. And he'll get in there, and many of us, we've been soaked in it. And so the question is, we need to be changed by the renewing of our minds. Let the word radically wash your brain. You need to become brainwashed. Re-brainwashed. Be set right side up in your thinking. You are no longer Gentiles in the world. You are now children of God. And the Lord is teaching you who you are in him now. Read through Ephesians again, even if you don't get it. And just read it and say, Lord, do I believe that I've been chosen? Do I believe that I've been redeemed? Do I believe that I've been forgiven for that? Do I believe that I've been given the plan? Do I believe that I've been chosen? Do I believe these things? Do I, be, is, is that, do I believe in the promises of God? Do I believe what you say more than... We've got to ask the Lord to change us. And that's by grace, by the way. So dig in. Lord, we love you, and we want to love you through our actions. We want to obey you, but Lord, we don't even know what to do if we don't know who we are. So Lord, would you just take these truths? Would you open the minds of our our hearts? And would you, um, the eyes of our hearts, Lord, just uh, speaking of our minds, and would you transform us by your grace that we would walk worthy of the calling so that, Lord, when you say that those who steal should no longer steal but get a job and give to others, it wouldn't just be a religious thing, but it would be an understanding this is based out of who we are now. So, Lord, help us. Otherwise, we will view this from legalism. So, Lord, by your grace, work in the hearts and minds of this church. We love you, and we want to just love it. love you so everybody can see it. In the name of Jesus, amen.